So I was new to Toronto. Uh, I was 25 years old, and I was walking down the street, and I saw uh, kind of on the side of the road, there's this kind of distraught gentleman. He was wearing some nice kind of soccer gear, with some Tommy Hilfiger, and he was sitting in, in front of this uh, BMW with a flat tire. And I was like, oh, I was just kind of walking by. He's like, excuse me, excuse me, sir, excuse me. And I was like, oh, stopped. I didn't know in Toronto you're not supposed to talk to people, but I was... <laughs> so I stopped. I was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? He's like, I'm in really rough shape. My, my car, I've got a flat tire. I don't have my, my wallet. Um, can you give me, some, give me a hand? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, what do you need? Let me help you with the tire. He's like, oh, I just need 20 bucks. I'm going to take a cab back to my house, and I'm going to uh, call you, and I'll make sure I get you the 20 bucks back, and you help me out. And I was like, with my loving heart, <laughs> from Sarnia? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, for sure, man, let's, let's do this. And, and I said, oh, I don't have it on me, let's, I'm going to go to the cash machine. So he's walking with me to the cash machine. He says to me, oh, actually, if you give me 40, it'd be perfect, because then I could do this. I was like, oh, okay. So I go in, put my card in the machine. I take, I make, he's waiting outside. I wasn't that stupid. Um, <laughs> and I uh, get the money out, and I basically uh, come out with 60 bucks. And I pass him 40, he's like, oh, like, if you could give me the 60... And I was like, no, no, I, I need this. And then I uh, went home, and I, something inside me the whole time was a little bit, mm, you know what I mean? You, you kind of like, you, your spidey senses are tingling. It's like, I ah, don't know if I'm going to get this call. I waited by the phone every day. Uh, I didn't do that, but I, I didn't get the phone call. I never got the 40 bucks back. And it was something I learned really quickly, and I kind of already knew about it. And like I said, I already had that feeling, but there was something in me. I just wanted to trust this guy, wanted to help out someone. How could he be in front of a BMW dressed so nicely? And I walked by a couple weeks later uh, down the street, and I saw him. He was a little more scraggly looking, and he was trying to get some money from some people. And I started walking across the street towards him, and he saw me, and he caught my eye, and he kind of like skedaddled out. And I started really quickly learning that love is really important, but so is the truth. And we need to have discernment. Love and truth need to be balanced because without one, the other one falls apart. There is no such thing as love without truth. And there's no real truth if it doesn't have love. And this is the lesson we actually learned from our one-hit wonder selection this week, which is Second John. This is a letter from an aging apostle who's been around for a long time. He's the only one of the 12 who are left on earth. We believe even the apostle Paul, the 13th, is gone as well. And he's writing to a church, or he's writing to a lady at a church. And he begins like this. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, who will be with us in truth and love. We hear from John this wizened, old, white-haired man. And we hear him writing to 
often called the elect lady, the lady chosen. There's a lot of questions about this. Some people say, oh, this is a woman whose name was Electa. Or this is a woman whose name was Kyria. And to her children who are meeting in this house church. But others say, no, no, what's probably happening here is that this is actually kind of code. And what, who he's writing to is actually the church, a certain church. But because in this day and age there's a lot of persecution, he doesn't want to make it too obvious. So he's saying oh, he's writing a personal letter to this lady and to her children. And we'll see later on that there's some questions about this because we also recognize at the very end who, who gives a greeting back is her sister a chosen lady, and her children. We will take this either as a personal letter to a woman who's kind of housing a church or to the church as a whole. I personally am leaning towards the later. I think it might be to a whole church. But whatever is happening here, you start to recognize that as you, as you read this, that he's speaking something that needs to be heard by all the churches in his flock. And in, in fact, I'd say 3 John echoes this teaching. And what he's trying to teach us is we have to realize that truth and love are one and the same. They are Jesus, whom I love in the truth. Notice how he says there's, there's this woman he loves in the truth. He loves her through Jesus. In fact, curious enough, he says, all who know the truth love her, which is a very interesting thing to say about one woman, if she's just one church uh, lady. Unless it was Mary. Some people say, maybe it's Mary he's writing to. She would have been very old by this age. It's an interesting statement. Everyone who loves the truth will love this woman. Because of the truth which lives in us. There's this living, breathing entity called truth, which is residing within John and within all these people of the church. And he says, grace and mercy and peace with us in truth and love. You see how these two are combined. He's setting up the themes very clearly. He's saying, we need both. And guess what? It actually has to live in you. You need truth to be actually residing, permeating within your own existence. You need love to actually be in your heart, to be actually residing within you. It will like, permeate your existence. It, it indwells within you. They're not like just these emotions, these feelings you have sometimes. They're this commitment, this personal um, allegiance to truth, personal allegiance to love because they are originating in God. Love is God himself living in you. Truth, as you have it, is God himself living within you. And he says this, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing a new command, but one that we had from the very beginning, right from the day I got called by Jesus. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his commandment is that you walk in love. Do you get it? He wants you to love. In fact, he's called the apostle of love. For John, the whole of Jesus' teaching is summed up in this word, love. God is love, he actually says in his gospel. And he says here, it's, it's actually a commandment. It's not a, not a new commandment. You've been given this commandment, love each other. I love how he kind of has this circular thing going on. You are commanded to love. What is love? Love is obeying 
his command. Love is the whole of what it means to walk in Jesus. Love in truth is the whole of what it means to walk in Jesus. He's very purposeful here. You need to do this. What does it look like when you're talking about walking in love? I was just up at a camp for a week, and there was volunteers at this camp. Actually, some of our members of our church are there this week. And giving up an entire week of vacation to serve the children who are hearing the gospel. This is love in action. It's going to next door and making sure that we're preparing meals for our neighbors, helping welcome the refugees. Love is this action. It's not just something you kind of have within your heart. Oh, I feel, I feel a general disposition of positivity towards the universe. It's getting into the dirt of it. It's actually a self-sacrifice, actually giving of yourself, of your time, of your resources, of who you are, sacrificing that and laying that at the feet of Jesus towards someone else. Love is this radical thing that compels us towards other people because of Jesus. And you know it when you see it. You know when you're, you know, you know when you're feeling love. You know it. You also know when you're not getting the love. It's, a, it's a something that you, you, you see it and it's there and you can talk about it all you want, but you know it. And the problem was that John was hearing a lot of talk about love, but he wasn't seeing it in certain circles. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both God and the Son. Enter the scammer. Enter the deceiver. Even this early on, there's people who are starting to come into the church who are doing things and trying to gain positions in order to benefit themselves. And John's saying, watch out. They're here. He actually names one in, in 3 John. 3 John's even a little bit more personal. Diatrephes. He's got this personal beef with the guy who's been kicking him out, not allowing him to enter into certain places. And so here we have this unfortunate circumstance that although the church is called to love, there's going to be those who come in and deceive. There's going to be antichrist. Antichrist. Whenever we hear the term antichrist, what do we usually think? End times. What's that? The book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Thank you. This whole like uh, the rapture coming and then, and then all the bad things are going to happen at the end. There's going to be one person who's going to make you get a mark on your head and you're, that's, that's the antichrist. What's really interesting is the word antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is always used by John as someone who is opposed to the gospel. 
There's the beast in Revelation. I'm not saying the Antichrist isn't there. I'm just saying the word isn't there. We have the man of lawlessness in 1 Thessalonians. Antichrist is used by John. He actually uses it in a way that, that can be multiple antichrists. Someone who is opposing what Jesus is trying to do in the church. If someone is trying to deceive, he calls them antichrist. Now, how do, what does that mean, you're welcoming him and, and, and being deceived? Uh, the word antichrist is actually embraced by a famous philosopher who is a bit, bit of a pet peeve of mine when people kind of quote him as like this awesome guy. Nietzsche, have you ever read the book, The Antichrist? He doesn't like you. If you follow Jesus, you are a sheep. He, follow, he finds Jesus to be someone he does not like very much because of his teaching of laying your life down on the ground, on, on the ground and, and pouring yourself of that type of self-sacrificial love. Is, he says, he's basically says, I'm against that. I am antichrist. And what we're hearing is John is saying, there's these people who are teaching things which are antichrist. He actually calls them, uh, he says that they, they run too far ahead. They're advanced thinkers. They are those who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. This is why when you read the Gospel of John and you read 1 John, he's obsessed with talking about touching Jesus, the holes in his hands, because there's people already spiritualizing things and saying, Jesus wasn't really human. To be fleshly is sinful. So he was basically like, either like, uh, had an angelic energy body, or he was like, kind of, it looked like a body, but it was more like a ghost kind of thing going on. And this is the teaching that is going through the church, and, and these higher-ups are saying, oh, you need to learn the higher levels of Jesus, and, and there's all these things, and what he's saying is, this is not of Jesus. If you have someone denying this, he gets pretty serious. He says, if you want to know the truth of Jesus, what the, the, the core of the teaching of Jesus is, what he talks about this teaching of Jesus, then you have to recognize the truth. The truth is that Jesus was born of Mary. He walked as a little boy and he grew up. At 12, he taught in the temple. We don't know exactly what happened in between. I'm sure John had a few more tidbits than we do. But we know around the age of 30, he call, starts calling disciples to himself. They start following him. He's teaching the kingdom of God. He starts making enemies uh, with the Romans, with the, the, the Jewish leaders, with some of the general populace. He's, he's creating a, a buzz about what he's teaching, and he's teaching about himself being the Messiah. He is killed, but he says that his death will be our eternal life, that we will be forgiven of our sins because he died and rose again. He came back from the dead, again physically, so he could be touched. It wasn't a, a ghost shell energy body. If you hear anything in the church that doesn't say that, Antichrist. That's what he's saying here. You can't deny this. If you hear this in the church, this is what he actually says. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Whoa. I don't know about you. That makes me a little uncomfortable. Does it? Don't, don't welcome them. It's like, eh. Didn't Jesus, like, welcome prostitutes and tax collectors? What, what, what are you talking about here? It, it's so uncomfortable. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do third John. <laughs> I got into there and I was like, oh, 
uh, Travis even like harsher. He's like naming the guy and like, don't welcome this guy. This guy's and like, oh, I went to, then I went to Jude. It's my last chance. <laughs> it says, there are certain men. All three of these books are talking the same thing. Watch out. Oh, okay, God, I get, I get it. You got to speak the truth in love. But I have to say, this is a hard one. It's hard to believe to hear this, don't welcome him. He's supposed to be the apostle of love. And he's saying, don't welcome him into your house. Dodd, actually, a biblical scholar, says, yeah, don't, this is a bad commandment for Christians. It's like, ooh, that's a... So how do we make some sense of this? Especially when we know Jesus said to, to welcome. We know we have it in Romans 12, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Titus, Hebrew. I mean, it's all over the Bible. Welcome people into your home. It's part of how we talk about this. Like, have a meal. Invite your friends around you to your barbecue, right? This is share the grill. Magi mission. How do I? Am I saying if someone doesn't get Jesus right, they can't come into my house? And I like to say, this is why I believe that this was actually written as a letter to the church, that this Kyria is the church as a whole. I'm not saying that you personally never welcome someone who doesn't follow all the teachings of Jesus into your home. What it's saying is, uh, there was these people that would travel from church to church. They were, they were prophets. You can read this in the Didache, and there's instructions about them. And they come, and they teach at the churches, and they travel around, like traveling evangelists. And what he's saying here is, if they deny... Jesus, in the flesh, don't let him teach. And I would say that that's actually a very important thing. It's just like, um, we, we wouldn't want de- deception to come and start teaching, right? Uh, we, upstairs, we have kids' kingdom. It's probably pretty easy there. We do police checks. Someone can say, oh, I'm a, I'm a good person. But we know there's a very dangerous reality of predators that were trying to get access to children. And so we need the truth and the love. And we see here that John's saying this is the same thing for adults, actually. And we know it's true because we see it. There was a, a pastor who was a typical pastor, and he was leading a church. And eventually he takes them to another country, and he makes them drink the Kool-Aid for real, and they all get killed. His name was Jim Jones in Jonestown. That is a false teacher. Watch out. Watch out. We have to. We see it all the time on TV. This is why so many people are skeptical of Christians is because how many people are deceivers? Hey, send me this money and you'll be blessed. Look at it. It worked for me. I have an awesome car. Send me money you'll get an awesome car too. Well, you're getting an awesome car because they're sending you money. How are they going to get an awesome car out of this? We recognize this false teaching is a reality. And so John's saying, watch out. You need to have truth in your love. And he actually says, if you welcome them into your house, you're helping them do their wicked work. You're helping Antichrist. And so that's why We have a leadership team or elders like John who are there to make sure that this is not violated, that there isn't all of a sudden someone teaching something that's going to hurt through their teaching. So many horror stories could be 
easily avoided with some discernment, with some dedication to truth and love. And I think that's a, a call for each of us is to make sure we keep this balance. It is a hard word. And I would say, at the personal level, we as Christians need to always be prepared to welcome. Like, I have atheist friends. Come over for dinner. I love them. Care for them. Even Christians who, or people I know have slidden away from the, from the word or are doing teachings and they're thinking things that I don't think are necessarily true. Oh, hey, come into my house. We're going to talk and care and love. We're not trying to say, don't talk to people. But there's something special about the church that we need to make sure that we keep the truth. It's not saying, by the way, uh, if you're an Arminianist, you're not allowed to teach. Are you? Oh, you're a Calvinist? You better not, you're not allowed to teach. Church, what happens sometimes is, is churches can use this type of verse and then start separating even further, right? This is very clear to, to John. What he's talking about is the fundamental truth of the gospel. And if those things are being violated, we need to be careful because then we don't really learn the love of who Christ is. When it comes to teaching, we need to watch out. And he continues, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so our joy can be complete. The children of your sister, I would say the church of Ephesus, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. A little key nugget of truth for the digital ages here, I think. If you want to do truth in love, take what Paul's saying to heart. He has some sensitive things. You can, you can tell he has some things on his heart he wants to talk about. He's already talked about a couple sensitive issues, but he hasn't, he's, he's being careful here. He's saying, I want to say more to you, but I'm not going to put it on paper because it's hard to get the love part right on paper. Have you ever had one of those emails where you maybe received some truth about yourself, but it was in an email form and it was really hard because the love doesn't come across as well? Or on a social media, maybe you post something on Facebook and then you see all your friends arguing for their truth and you're like, where is the love? It's really hard, I think, to, to not have um, this confusion if it's not face-to-face. -face. We need more FaceTime. I don't mean Apple FaceTime or whatever. Face-to-face. -face. You want to talk it out? Sit down. John himself is saying this. He's far away. He's like, ah, I have some things I want to share, but we need to, we need to sit down together. One key thing I recognize is do not... Write or reply angrily. Learned that earlier in my pastorate because I got the red hair here and definitely had myself a little bit of trouble. You can see Paul, uh, you see John here, he's very, he's very clear. Hey, I want to talk to you about more of this, but to be loving, I want to sit down together so we can have this joy thing. So, what, what are we going to take? What are we going to take away? If this is written to the church as a whole, how do I personally kind of Deal with what's going on in 2 John. Well, there's a few things I think we can take some personal applications from this. And I'm going to go through some quotes about this kind of balancing of truth and love. John Stott says, truth without love is too hard. Love without truth is too soft. Have you seen that before? That hard, that's just too hard? But if you're just not able to say 
what you really think. It's too soft. Eberhard Arnold says, truth without love kills, but love without truth lies. Is it really loving to lie to someone? Is it really loving to let them kind of continue down that path? Gene Kim, to tell the truth is an act of love. To withhold the truth is an act of hate. Or worse yet, apathy. Sometimes in my life, I wish someone came to me and said, you really need to hear this. I eventually end up hearing it, right? I, I, we all do. But maybe it's after, it would have been nicer to hear it earlier because, ah, damage has been done already. Because I didn't know this. I'm sure you've been there. Keller says this, love without truth is sentimentality. It's just like the sentimentality. That positive feeling towards things. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in a way that we can't really hear it. You ever had that thing said to you that, was probably pretty true because of the way it was said to you. You're like, fences up, block it off, didn't receive it, kind of push against it. Truth without love is a killer. It's a killer. Love without truth is, is lying to the person. It's not helping either. So we have to somehow find both. And so here's my, my little thought for you. I personally believe, I'm not saying this is in Scripture, just in my own experience, that individuals often, personality-wise, kind of have a pro- pro- proclivity, a bias towards one or the other. You know what I'm saying? Kind of think to yourself. Like, I know, like, if I asked you, what's, what is your leaning? What's your bias, truth or love? You'd probably go, oh, both, right? Good answer. It's like Jesus answered everything. Yeah, both. No, but really, if you really think it in your heart, deep down, where do you lean? Do you find it too easy to hurt someone with the truth? Do you find it too easy to hurt someone by not giving them the truth? And we need both of these things in our hearts, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you mine. You probably guessed it from my opening story. Mine's love. My nature is to try to avoid conflict and controversy. I think over the years I'm learning that that is not a great thing, and I think I've gotten better at it, but it's definitely your natural inclinations. My wife, Megan's, is the truth, which makes for a lot of fun at home. (laughs) It's been interesting, and we can both annoy each other, especially when we started pastoring. I was always like, ooh, and trying to make sure, delicately say things around here, and make sure, you know, everyone's happy, and trying to Speaking, she's like, just say it as it is. But then that, when that happens, sometimes you see people hurt. Like, oh, man, that was, you should have said that this way. Like, that was like, oh, rough. Like, if you're like me and you're kind of leaning towards love, then you kind of pick up on people's subtle signals. You kind of know when people are, are feeling a certain way. And you kind of, you're like, 
able to uh, gently kind of speak something and you feel like, oh, I, I told them, I told them that. So I kind of intimated, I was talking about all these things, I kind of threw a sentence out there about this, and then I continued on with this stuff. If someone does that to me, I get it. Oh, that sentence in the middle, radar on, pick it up, I know what's happening. But there's people, when you don't speak it clearly, they don't hear it. That's something I've learned. Oh, you have to just say this. Did you hear me? This. But I love you. But I've learned over the years that's something I have to, to work on. The problem is when you think everyone thinks like you. So you're like, if, you, if you're more of the blunt person, just drop it on them. Well, they knew I meant in love. They know I love them. I gave them muffins last week. He just dropped a truth bomb on them that they're going to take months to get past. They're not thinking about your muffins. <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it's going to take some time. On the other hand, if you think you just dropped that nice little hint and you're going to help them, well, now they know. That's not going to necessarily help someone who needs it spelt out or wants to hear it. Some of you, me, need just to tell people straight. Say it like it is. You may think you were alluding to it. You need just to say it. Speak up. Don't avoid conflict. That's the other thing. It's like, oh, just, maybe this will work itself out. It, I, I, it doesn't work itself out. It gets worse. Why? Because truth is important. If you avoid the truth, what do we have? Jesus is the truth. But some of you... Need to work on the love part. I, I hear sometimes people like to talk about the brutal truth. I want to say this. For followers of Jesus, the truth should not be brutal. It should be loving. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but what I'm trying to say is there's not a, a joy in the pain. It's, 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 um, there, there needs to be a way in which you're helping persuade, help someone hear that truth. The truth should be direct. It shouldn't be beaten around the bush, but it has to be in love. If you relish hitting people with the truth, there's a, there's a danger there. What we need to do is relish how the truth can set people free. And so when we speak that truth, we recognize, hey, I'm helping this person become better in Christ. And I'm thankful that I have people in my life that are able to do this. And I, and I hope I'm growing in, in my side as well. We need to get joy from the way that truth can enter into someone's heart and make them better. If we speak a truth to someone in a, in a harsh way, they might not hear it. We heard that earlier. It's like, oh, don't hear it. They block it off. Or I would say even worse yet, they hear it, and then they hate themselves for it. Or they hate you for it. And hate ain't love. So I'm going to ask you to put yourself out there. How many people here would say you probably lean more towards love by default? Is that kind of your, huh? a few hands up there? Yeah, avoiding the conflict side, right? How many people here say I, I, I probably lean more towards truth? I want people to know the truth so I can help them out. And God wants us both together because we need each other. 
I need you to help me to speak that hard truth, and you need me to help you make that truth loving. That's, what the, that's how the, the body works. We sharpen each other. I wouldn't be surprised if a few of the couples here that are married might actually have the opposites. Because you need it. The delicate balance of this truth and love is a daily dance. And I would just say, like, let's this week just ask the Lord just to kind of open our hearts and, 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 and speak to us. How do I become more strong in the truth or more strong in love? How do I make these things balance each other? It's a, it's a daily dance. And remember, Jesus is truth and Jesus is love. So as you pursue this, you're pursuing Jesus. You're becoming more like Jesus. Jesus had harsh words. Hey, Pharisees, you're serpents. Whoa. How's that, loving Cyril? They needed to hear that because they were these, these hard truthers. Right? The woman caught in adultery, she needed, she needed the love of the truth. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. We need to balance this and be continually vigilant in this. Some of us need to speak up with truth. Some of us need to learn to love with our mouths. And we all need to grow in this love. And may the truth and the love of Jesus be your center. May he pull us together, whatever our natural leanings, and help hold us together as a church in these things. When I think about the table, when I think about the body broken, I like the idea of, of the body. For me, I'm thinking, like, this is symbolic of truth to me. It's like uh, something solid. It's something real. Now, I know the word truth can be misused, and, can, and how do we get truth? There's a lot of questions around there. But in the end, there is a God, and there is a Christ who has forgiven us for sins. Ah, I, can, I can hold on to that. But then when I take the cup, it's something that's just flowing. It's overflowing with love. It just washes away my hurt and my pain and my sin. This table today, I hope, is the perfect picture of the coming together of the truth and love. Jesus was killed because he spoke hard truths. Jesus was killed because he loved the world so much. Let's pray.